0: And friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment.
1: Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four,
2: three, two, one. Let's go. Jesse, Timmy, are even okay as my it? wire gets stuck underneath the chair, whatever. Almost pulled the microphone out of its spot. I have made it a goal in life to learn to relax in the chaos. Yeah, nobody cares about that,
3: that's totally fine.
2: 2020 Yeah. 2021 have expedited that need, but life has always been more like wrestling than dancing. Yes. And while many of you might think this is some sort of statement on an election, I can assure you, this is simply my attempt to make sure that you're enjoying the Jays over their final couple of weeks of the regular season here as I quote things almost because I tore a microphone off of
3: myself. Are you going to be okay <laughs> over there? You want to take like <laughs> 10 seconds and figure uh, it like out? It's like hanging <laughs> down
2: and it's kind of sort of <laughs> awkward and it's not in a good spot, but I've said that a couple of times it's before Tuesday, in my life. You know what I'm Monday, talking right? about, it's Sammy? It's Tuesday. <laughs> I'm not talking about the mic. Relax in the chaos and maybe even enjoy it a little bit, Hmm. even when they lose. Little Aaron Rodgers there. (laughs) Yes, Yes. and it worked out last night for Green Bay. We'll try our best to help you, and by we, I mean Jesse Robinoff and me, Timothy McAuliffe. This is Tim and Friends for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021, live from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. Now is as good a time as any to thank you, Jesse, the crew all around here, and the friends for making this show a success despite losing the supremely talented Sid Sixero. And today, we attempt to edutain the masses with the Tuesday virtual roundtable of Stephen Brunt, Michael Grange, and Adnan Verk. Elliot Friedman will tell me if he's officially changed the name of The Thing to the 32 Thoughts yet. And Shai Davidi, live from the tropics, the pregame to the pregame, is right here. That's right, my friends. Game day always starts with Tim and friends. Sure, watching that ninth inning with Ron Culpa calling balls and strikes may, may, may have felt almost as painful as, well, this.
0: Hey! Hi! 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 Hi!
2: Almost, almost (laughs) as painful as that. Not really even close, if I'm being honest. No?
3: No, no. They didn't look to
2: be, I mean, in any way, shape, or form, harmed by the repeated knocks to the old meat and potatoes. An anomaly. That was an anomaly. (laughs) That is is an anomaly, yes, without a (laughs) doubt. Uh, Two balls, multiple strikes. And while I admire... (laughs) (laughs) While I admire... The mind over matter, Jesse. That seems dumber than not being able to pour piss out of a boot with a hole in the toe and directions on the heel. Got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes Got sense. It. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, would you ever, in any way, shape, or form, entertain the idea of what those, I believe they're monks, are doing? How much money are we talking? <laughs> like, to take... To take one of those just just one of those like, I, <laughs> what are you doing
3: because like no 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 like you'd be, i'd be in the hospital no like you'd end up in the hospital and and that's like you gotta it's, gotta oh, it's a log sick. oh my god
2: they're using a log It's <laughs> the, the end like the guy at the end goes you know what I'm punching crying. and kicking not nearly enough. Can we, Jimmy, rig some sort of log? I need a big, hard object on chains, perhaps, where we can just kind of sort of lance it right at me. How, okay,
3: here's the question. If someone offered you money for this, would you Would you train? Because if you're training, like these, they all, they've obviously trained. They well, don't just start. They, but they've, they've obviously trained. Come on, trained. Je- come no, no, on I know this, but, but you got to hear me out. <laughs> okay. Because if you're training, yeah. that's multiple strikes, right? And if you only do it once, like, well, they're doing it more than once. But if you're only yeah. doing it you- once, if someone's offering you money to do it once, are you just going to do one and done? Or are you going to train so that you can protect yourself better for that one big? money-making strike
2: the idea the idea is that they've trained their mind in order to not allow things like that to hurt that makes a lot of sense i don't have that me either potential (laughs) capability like zero percent chance what like what's the mind process can someone send me something here like what's the thought process that goes into do you know what would prove that i'm tougher of mind than anyone else I'm gonna hit myself in the junk repeatedly with a brick. And then everyone else in the room goes, Good idea? <laughs> like, <laughs> groupthink. It's groupthink. It turns into groupthink? Yeah, like everyone around you has to think they're gonna do the
3: same thing, and then that's it. That's <laughs> the only way you move forward with that. Because if there's one person in the room that's
2: like, Guys, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, it's you know not what? happening. You know what, guys? I think, I think I'm out of this group. <laughs> I no don't later. think I'm coming back. Adios. Uh, we'll try and avoid a kick to the junk. The old seven ten split or cutting the old meat and potatoes. We'll just give you some edutainment. As mentioned, virtual roundtable. Friege, uh, shy from the little trop of horrors, but we kick off the festival. Well, oh, careful when I say kick off the festivities. <laughs> we start the festivities with a little first things first.
0: Uh,
3: Okay, as we recover from that opening, let's talk about the Blue Jays a little bit. Uh, Down their lead in the wild card, down to (laughs) just a half a game over the Yankees for the second wild card spot in the American League. Now last night the Jays lost 6-4 in the opener against the Rays while the Yankees beat the Rangers. They held on 4-3. So how does last night's loss change the Jays' outlook? Just less than two weeks to go A bunch. season
2: here. A bunch, as will every day, so long as there are as many teams within as many games as there are right now. Yankees win yesterday. Mariners win yesterday. So now you have three teams within three games of the Toronto Blue Jays for that second wildcard spot. Now, you're looking forward and you're seeing the Red Sox and Yankees play each other, and perhaps that is... A little bit of solace in all this, but losing a Robbie Ray start hurts more than it normally would when Hyunjin Ryu is out of the lineup. So now there's a ton of pressure on Alec Manoa, who gets the call tonight. Like, Shane Boz really put a wrinkle into the J. I know we were talking about him, and, and for those who missed it, like, Buck Martinez had some info on the kid where you're just like, Really, come on. Major League Debut, like this is what we're talking about. The kid was good. He outdueled Robbie Ray. And it seemed as though um, Tampa had a better approach to totally. Robbie Ray than they did when he completely dominated them a week ago. So you lose this Robbie Ray one, and now you face Manoa. Okay. I like their, I like what he's been able to do in big spots, but this feels like a lot of pressure on the kid, knowing that it's probably Ross Stripling or Thomas Hatch tomorrow. Yes. yes. A huge game today.
3: And we, we flashed the standings up there. Now the lead's down to half a game. But, you know, we, we've been following the standings. It's, it's what we do here, right, on Tim and Friends. And I think a lot of Blue Jays fans are following the yeah, standings. Of course. Uh, Charlie Montoyo can be a little bit quirky at times, a little laid-back guy. You know, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. And mm-hmm. had a little bit of a surprise for us on the athletic baseball show that has caused a little bit of a stir online. Let's have a listen. Charlie, why don't we start with this?
4: On August
3: 28th, your team woke up that morning, found itself nine and a half games behind the Yankees in the standings. If I had told you then that three weeks later, you'd be ahead of the Yankees in the standings, what
0: would you have said? You know, uh the one thing about it, Jason, I didn't know that because I don't look at TV. I don't look at the standings. I promise you, I, I did not know that. Now, I did know that we were playing Oakland and the Yankees back to back. I didn't know <laughs> that. And I go, wow, that's going to be tough because, you know, you either got to sweep them or if you lose two out of three or four against the Yankees, season's over. We got two weeks left. That's it. I
3: don't want to call Charlie Montoya a liar but is that fake news? (laughs) Does he really not look at the standings?
2: This was released earlier today, and the response to this was near mystifying to me. Like, people were acting as if he had no idea that they were in some sort of race for the wild card. Like, if he's not looking at the standings, he still knows that every game is really important, and even if he didn't, they're 15-4 and in the month of (laughs) September. Like, are you kidding me, people? Stop taking everything so literally. Apply some common sense. I don't care if he was lying, if he was projecting, if he was suggesting that that was a better way to do it. He understands that every game is a must win. There is no, like he's not going, hey, are we eight games back? Like he knows the reaction to this was almost as boneheaded as the suggestion that he had no idea where they were. Who cares if they're a half game up, a half game back, if you know you've got to win every game? No?
3: Yeah. I think the big point that you make there is that they're winning games. So who cares if he knows where they are in the standings? They have arranged the pitching rotation so that they have the people they want lined up for the potential <laughs> tie-breaking game and the wild card game. Yes. So it's not like it's a dereliction of duty no, by do you, Charlie Montoya did, here. Were there people
2: that actually thought that he had no idea where they were? Yes! For sure, are those people idiots?
5: Yes,
3: <laughs> for sure. He's a manager in the major leagues. Like, let's be real here. That's not the case. No, it's just not the case. No,
2: and if it were the case, he was joking. If it were the, I don't think, I don't think he was joking. I just don't think that he goes to the day to day. It's not, it's not top of mind. It's not the day-to-day. He wants to just focus on winning games is what I think he's trying to say. Okay. There's a projection here of an attitude that he is attempting to, to convey to the interviewers. And that is, we go out every day and try and win games. Now, did he... Get that across? Well, apparently some people didn't get the idea. <laughs> but I don't think that he's going to be up four games and saying, let's send Ricky Ray out there for nine innings because we need to win this game. they do it again. That's okay. No. We, we, we fully embrace it now. It's,
3: it's, we love it. We love it. Uh, another five okay. bucks in okay. the jar. So you're of the opinion that Charlie Montoya was, was not joking there. Was Ron Culpa joking? Because those calls specifically in the ninth inning, were embarrassing for a major league umpire, were they not? Specifically, yeah. the, specifically <laughs> not the last a... at-bat to Breivik Valera. And I know it's such low-hanging fruit to criticize umpires. It is one of the toughest jobs in sports, no question about it. But you have to realize the implications of missing calls like that. And umpires do but... not have, there's no ramifications for this. He'll be back working again. He'll probably work a playoff game. And if you have a situation like that, that's
2: unacceptable. I mean, people, there are report cards on umpires. And I think we, guys, do we have the uh, Twitter account that graded out Ron Culpa yesterday? And it was really interesting because his overall accuracy was 91%. That'd be good in school. Right? And they're saying that the average is 94%. So he's just slightly below average. But when you consider the worst missed calls, and they listed all three of them, were in the ninth inning, two of them with the bases loaded, in a two-run game, in the ninth inning. Dear God, what the hell happened here? Like, this isn't the, I'm not calling for the robot umpires. I'm not calling for uh, Ron Culpa to be fired. But when you miss low and you miss high, that, to me, is you done screwed up. And I just hope, honestly... I hope that umpires, and some of them do this. I know this for a fact. Some of them go back out and say, you know what? I screwed you guys yesterday. I'm sorry. And I don't know if he's going to end up doing that. And Cowboy Joe West is going behind. That happens. Highly doubted in this scenario. Well, maybe No one will ever admit to it because then you make the guy look bad. Yeah. It's just one of those things that happens. And when you hear referees mic'd up every once in a while, you hear them say, I missed that. And I think that... Players, coaches in all sports appreciate when, an, when a referee says, you know what, I missed that, I'm sorry, I'm human. And he just sucked in the ninth inning. It's the big and, spot. Like you can it,
3: suck in the first
2: yeah. inning, you can suck yeah. in the second inning,
3: you can suck in April. You can yeah. suck in May and yeah. pretty much all the way up until right now. But you have to understand... You can suck a lot. You got, yeah, you could suck a lot. But you got to be on top of your game when it comes to the... You're in the middle of the wild card race. It had a massive influence on the game last night. and could end up costing the Jays. Who knows? Uh, Gabriel Marino. Uh, called up by the Blue Jays. Prospect Another catcher. catching to prospect. Uh, uh, has top been, prospect.
2: Has been moved to triple A. He was absolutely raking early. Like, mm. ridiculous numbers early in the season. Still pretty ridiculous numbers right now. Uh, They have had a glut at catcher, and this just means that he is closer. I don't know what it means for the end of the year, but I know that there's a lot of uh, hardcore Blue Jay fans who are really excited about this young kid, so we thought we'd pass that along. By the way, the Jays 3-4 and at the TROP this year, if they won the last two of this series, they would win their first season series at Tropicana Field since 2014. The little trop of horrors. Manoa tonight and then whoever the hell goes tomorrow. Got a chance. Gotta like
3: the, the chances so, with so Manoa you're on the Telling me Hill. there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. Uh, we'll have a lot more Blue Jays talk in the round table and of course Shai Davidi coming up a little bit later. So why don't we transition To the Green Bay Packers, who avoided an 0-2 start with a 35-17 victory over the Detroit Lions last night. Green Bay actually trailed at the half 17-14, but they outscored Detroit 21-zip in the second half. There were a lot of people questioning Aaron Rodgers and the Packers after the blowout loss to the Saints in Week 1. Should last night's win be enough to ease the fears of Green Bay fans everywhere?
2: Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers now, after a loss since 2019, is 7-0 and with 20 touchdown passes and zero interceptions. Uh, they've gone through the relax before, for those who don't remember. All you would have had to do was play this clip and people would have understood, yeah. no?
6: Five letters here. Just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself today. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay.
2: I mean, listen, I, I get Aaron Rodgers, the offseason. It's never been like that. Uh, I don't think we were ever going to end up in a similar spot where you were after that Saints game. Things like that in the NFL happen. It's why we called it Overreaction Monday, and it completely full circles all of that stuff where the Saints go in and blow out the Green Bay Packers, then lose in significant fashion to the Carolina Panthers, and the Green Bay Packers bounce back and beat the Detroit Lions. That-ish happens in football, and it will continue to happen in football. I mean, their offense is...
3: Outstanding. Look at the skill position players. Aaron Jones had a ridiculous night last night. They have the top, at least, fantasy receiver in the league in Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers MVP last year. Like, they have the talent. That's not really the issue. It's just a matter of gelling. And it makes me even more curious as to what happened in week one. I know you said it happens, but it was just bizarre. Because looking at how they were able to execute oh, in the second oh, half,
2: I get it. I hold get on. it. No, hold on. The, the, the Super Bowl champs last year in the middle of the season lost 38-3 to mm-hmm. to the New Orleans Saints. And now we're talking about them being the juggernauts that could never lose again. You want to know what happened? Aaron Rodgers has been around long enough. It's overreactions. Here's what he said post-game. I just think people like to say a lot of And it's nice to come back in here after a game like that. I think that there's there's even more now than when I started playing. There's so many overreactions that happened on a week-to-week basis. So it's nice to to come
4: out and have a good performance and get the trolls off our back for at least a week.
2: It's 2021. Everyone, things happen. In the game of football, sometimes it can pound. When you turn the ball over, all these things can lead to a terrible game. They had a terrible game. They're not a terrible team. He's so Cali. He's so, like, chilled and relaxed right now. I would love to uh. dig deep on what the Aaron Rodgers... Experience really is. Yes. Like, there's so many layers to that. Onion doesn't talk to his family. Yeah, like, it's, There's so... I think... I'm not saying that he is the be-all and end-all, but he's a wonderful quarterback. I'll tell you that much. And I wonder if some of the... Like, I wonder... Aaron Jones has been a great back for a long time. Mm-hmm. Why don't they give him the ball more? Yeah.
3: Last night, they tried to. They, they definitely tried to last night, but it's a, good, it's a good point. We'll have to see moving forward. They certainly look good in the second he half last night. He only scored four touchdowns. Yeah, no pretty good uh, all right let's go from the NFL to the NBA because training camps in the NBA are set to open next week Ben Simmons has reportedly told the 76ers he will not report to camp and intends to never play another game for the franchise according to reports the Sixers have been trying to trade the three-time all-star but haven't found a team willing to meet their asking price the Sixers do you. have the power to fine and suspend Simmons if he
2: doesn't report how's this going to play out to me Did they not tell you that we would get to this point Yep, you did. We brought this up a couple times, right? And I said that this was not over. It was never going to be over, no matter how much they acted like it was over in the middle of the offseason. Okay, there are way too many Sixers fans acting as if the club told Simmons to fix his jumper and he told them to kick rocks. That's like one-tenth of the story here. The whole organization dropped the ball on this from jump And here we are looking for accountability when it's way too bleeping late. In 2021, there's always a line of folks ready to make excuses for you and your team. The process didn't fail because Ben Simmons didn't work on his jump shot this offseason. It failed because the team and the owner handed the keys of the franchise over to a pair of guys. A pair of guys who weren't ready for it. And the owner figured it was more important to chill with the Stars than hold them accountable. Simmons has been there for five years, and he's never shot more than 35% from the floor. The entire world knew what his weakness was, but they, as an organization, for years, let it go. Just like they let Joel Embiid eating McDonald's on the court while getting worked out before a game Go. The work ethic of these guys. They let it go early in their careers. Now, Embiid has figured it out for himself. But Simmons is still a little slow on the uptake. And he's slow on the uptake because he got away for it. He got away with it for years. Because folks were so seduced by his talent. And now they want to turn on him. Tell him to kick rocks. This guy figures it out. He'll make them eat it like the McDonald's on the sidelines. But... After five years and four on the floor, that's a big if, if he figures it out.
3: I think a lot of people watching right now are probably wondering, are the Raptors involved in any way, shape, or form? Now, John Hollinger uh, from The Athletic was on the Game Theory podcast with Sam Viceni and talked about the Raptors potentially being in on Simmons. Have a listen.
5: There's no way that Toronto could do something like a Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn like three first round picks kind of thing
0: I think they could I just don't think that's what they're wired to do they're more interested in like if they can do something a little more vulture than that you know where it's like <laughs> Goran Dragic in two firsts or something you know where it's like way the hell less than people expected you know kind of like the quadrate right like I think they'd be very interested in that but otherwise I think I think there's always so much they're going to put on the table
2: and I think that's true of everyone, and that's why in the offseason they were playing nice for a little while. They threw the guy under the bus. Yeah. End of the year, Embiid and the head coach threw him under the bus. Yeah.
3: I don't know how they're going to get anywhere close to, to what they're, they want. here. Like,
2: Philly fans are, are, are absolutely beside themselves. They wouldn't work on the jump shot and not acknowledging that the head coach and the best player threw him under the bus
3: last year. Yeah. they got to be careful here because they were first in the East last year, and they have a window
2: there. Time for a break. I don't know how big that window is. Shia Vini from the Trop. Elliot Friedman on the eve of a lot of training camps opening. Seth Jones and his new life with the Chicago Blackhawks. And up next, Tuesday Roundtable has assembled. Steven Brunt, Adnan Virk, Michael Grange. will talk Jays, Raptors, Manning Brothers, and more. Tim and friends, let's go.
1: Ooh, and a high strike. Three and two. Valera thought he had drawn the wall.
2: And the 3-2 to Valera is there for strike three called. And that will end the game.
0: Fourth touchdown of the night for Aaron Jones. Lane seeing this one that's close to the line. Oh my goodness! handed by Sanchez. Come on. He just went Kevin Mitchell. He did. Looks in front, saucer to Barker. He shoots, great save, Longo.
2: Tim and friends continue. Seth Jones of the Blackhawks, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet, Shai Davide from the Tropa ahead of game two of their three games set in the greater Tampa area. But alas, we have arrived at the second segment on a Tuesday, which means one of two things. One, I'm about to announce my candidacy for prime minister, or two, the virtual roundtable has been gathered. Thankfully, for all involved, it is indeed the latter. Latter in English. Man, I can't talk today. We'll start in Jersey. This guy can talk. Let me tell you that one of the greatest little league co-managers in West Hartford baseball history. You may also know him for hosting Outside the Lines, Oberman, ESPN, College Football or score in the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, it's at Dan Burke.
0: Yeah, let's not bury the lead, Timmy, score in the morning. I still have some coffee mugs around here. And you're right, my Little League coaching acumen is equal to none. I still want an update on how Cam McCallop is doing, but that'll be another time.
2: Yeah, we'll have that conversation later because I won't stop. Our next round just recently graduated from a AAA hockey dad to just being a dad, which is a big step for many. He also wrote a couple books, does web TV and radio. For Sportsnet, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, Michael Grange. What's up, Michael Grange? Oh, good. I
7: am a teenager again. Absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> Are you empty <laughs> nest? I playing video games. Are I you empty gone. nest? Empty nest. Oh I'll God. rub it in oh for all these God. all the oh. folk, folks who aren't. And fi- I just basically get up and eat and play video games. Oh, it's great. It's
2: awesome. Uh, <laughs> I and mean, finally, I could rattle off the resume of my final guest, but it would take too long. So, with all due respect to Dave Hodge who I've never met but understand to be a great dude, I will simply call him the godfather of Canadian sport. Once confused for you and Curry's dad, it's Stephen <laughs> Brown. Uh-huh. Dave Hodge is an excellent guy. Yeah, he's I've my, heard. My buddy, yeah. He's, I've he's heard. He's a fantastic
1: guy, he gets, and he gets access to great baseball tickets. I was, wondering, to
2: know. I was wondering who I would piss off by calling <laughs> you the godfather of Canadian sport. No, and I Hodge didn't is want the, to piss Hodge off is Hodge. Hodge. is the man. All right, I'll, I'll pass it up. All right, let's start with the topic du jour. Les Blue Jays de Toronto. Let's start with the godfather and lean on his expertise. Stephen, the um, historical precedent for what we're seeing from this Toronto Blue Jays team in this run is there one? Uh, you know, in terms of the success, you mean like they
1: yeah. didn't didn't lose in September, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, the closest, not that distant history, is 2015. It's right. that post uh, the the post tra- trade deadline run in 2015 where it felt like they didn't lose for two months. Right. So now we are not at the end. We don't know how the story ends. So that we know how that one ended. Wow. So there is that still. Right. right. There's still some distance to go. But you know, you hope it's not 1987. You know, when they were ahead and had it holding cooled out in the last week, and then the Tigers and some bad things happened. It doesn't feel like that, um, but it's in a lot. Of, look, in a lot of ways, I don't have an absolute point of comparison because I think this season's been really different.
2: Yeah, it's been different, and the and the point that I'm trying to get to is how much fun this like three week, four week sprint to the final is going to be. Well, That's
1: 2015, yeah. Except minus 40,000 people in right. the building.
2: That's the only difference. The Fifteen
1: thousand is pretty cool, and it feels like fun, but
2: that's the only difference. Right. Uh, Adnan currently working in the States, doing work with the MLB Network. Have folks in the States started to notice what's going on up here?
0: Uh, without question, Tim. Dan sack former Blue Jay, one of my colleagues at MLB Network, he was saying all year, watch out for these guys. It's interesting, though, the balance of attention has shifted, though. It was all about Vlad Jr., and listen, he still had a remarkable year. Although he's not going to get the triple crown, 10 RBI back at Sal Perez. But then it goes over to Teoscar Hernandez, like, wow, this guy's got 106 RBI. And then it goes to Bo Bichette, 26 yeah. home runs, tying Tony Batista's record as shortstop. The guy that I want to focus on, though, is Marcus Simeon, because he's never, we've never had a Jays shortstop or a second baseman. Any mid they hit 40 home runs Aaron Hale had that one great year. Remember 36 homers back in the day, but Simeon's taken dead aim Tim at the record for most homers by a second baseman period. Davey Johnson, who was known and immortalized as the Mets manager back in 86, he had 43 home runs one year, and that's where Simeon is. He's on the verge of getting that record. This is one of the all-time great one-year deals. $18 million for this guy. Ken Rotenthal, my colleague at MLB Network, said both Simeon and Robbie Ray are going to get $100 million contracts. Simeon, as we all know, one year, $18 million. Robbie Ray, one year, $8 million, and he might win the Cy Young now. Remarkable job on both those guys the Jays were able to hit.
2: And Steven, Simeon's playing Defense at second in his first year as a second baseman. Can uh, Old afford those two guys that Adnan just said are going to well, make $100 million? They, they can afford what they want to afford, <laughs> right? right?
1: That's, I, I think they're they're, they're going to... I assume the payroll's going to go up to those 2015-2016 levels, 2017 levels, right? $160-plus sixty plus million I think, right. look, they spent in the middle of a pandemic when they didn't know if they could sell a ticket right. on Ryu, on George Springer in the offseason. So they haven't been shy about spending money. But, you know, number one, the market is going to take these guys where they go. I'm not sure you can do both. And, and, you know, the the free part of free agency, you know, it's up to them. You know, it actually is their choice, not not anybody's choice here.
2: All right, Michael, it's not done, and there seems to be some debate about how important it is to get in now. Um, Like this, are they on the right trajectory versus you can't waste the way – the Simeon, the vladdy damn near close to mvp like season where are you on the they got to do it now versus oh they're on the, they're on a good trajectory
7: oh i think they got to do it now and I, to me they have a little bit of feel of of maybe your toronto maple leafs or something when you know you look at what they had last season where they were able to get so much production out of their core four yet still supplement around them and you know steve brunt's right like the organization has been willing to spend. I mean, signing George Springer after you haven't sold a ticket for a year and a bit, I mean, that's pretty impressive. But, you know, you're, it's more just that you it's really hard to recreate what you have, regardless of what you're going to spend. Or even if you do bring Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon back, are they going to be as good as they are this year? I mean, this is exceptional stuff. you got a uh, number one starter at the, who's a lefty at the top of rotation. And then in the American League East, you have as – Adnan pointed out, you know, historic production uh, from Marcus Simeon at middle infield, not to mention Bobuchet, Bouchette, Hernandez, and of course Vlad. So when you add all that up, to get all those things happening at once is impossible. And, and you know, really what we're seeing now is kind of what the Jays projected to be all year if you were somebody who believed in run differential, and this is, you know, this is run differential, the gospel come being realized finally, where they reached their potential. <laughs> um you know but so when you have all these happening things these things happening at once you can't squander it uh because the crazy thing about this as exciting as this has been it could end in a thump and uh nobody needs that and sure they're still gonna have a good team and and they've got a prime system and, and all these other great things can happen but um you know, this is a year you've got to somehow take advantage of because this is a team that could win a World Series. There's no doubt in my mind.
1: Yeah, and I think the Brio deal says that. You know, now, again, you got an extra yes. year there, but the Brio deal, deal and what they gave up for Brio tells you that they organizationally they see the opportunity here. And remember, that was now they they had the scuffling month of August after that, but um, that told you what their intent was—that they they weren't
2: just treating this as a development year; they're just treating this as an opportunity. Burke, you spent a lot of a lot of time on the Bo Sox and the Yankees. Does the you Jays' should. starting rotation, albeit with Jin Ryu pitching well, stack up against those teams and put them in a position where they could
0: win a World Series? This year. They really do, Tim. Chris Sale's back for Boston, but he's been inconsistent. Sometimes he's looked great. Sometimes he's been a little bit shaky. Nathan is a really good pitcher. But after that, for Boston, it gets a little thin. Eduardo Rodriguez has been inconsistent. Pavetta, the Canadian, got off to a great start had a poor second half. So Toronto's got the better rotation against Boston. And as far as New York is concerned, Garrett Cole and Robbie Ray, it's toss a coin for the Cy Young until their last starts. Garrett Cole got roughed up, and Robbie Ray, even last night, still good, even though he doesn't get the win. And I think now he'd have to be hard pressed to find a person who isn't picking Robbie ready to win the Cy Young. Over Cole, he's got more strikeouts, comparable innings, almost a similar whip. If you want to go by some of the advanced metrics, Cole's going to beg or fit, but after that, Nestor Cortez has been a real fine for the Yankees. He pitched well for them yesterday. Jordan Montgomery is going tonight. It's been great. The full Monty has stepped it up for the Yankees. He gets no run support, but he's been really good. But honestly, Tim, if you said Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, Toronto's got the best rotation, and the difference maker has been Alec Manoa. The fact he's only given up two run runs, 18 and two-thirds inning his last three starts, the way he threw eight innings strong against the Rays in his last start, you talk about a guy kind of resembles Lance Lynn, big burly guy. Lance Lynn was in the Cy Young conversation. Maybe Manoa is a future Cy Young award winner.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. He was thrown right into the fire. First start, Yankee Stadium, and the kid has responded to the pressure each and every time. Earlier we played a clip of Charlie Montoyo saying that he didn't look at the standings. but I'm not sure if you heard it or not. People are all sorts of opinionated on this one. What do you take from Charlie saying I don't look at this?
1: Well, I think that's number one. It's kind of a cliche, right? Like that's <laughs> okay. what you do say. Like it's, and I, I, I love Charlie, so I, I, I'll be right up front about that. I think he's a great guy. Um, I, I do think though, you know, managing a baseball team through a pennant race, you, it's not, it's not like we're going to try way harder tonight because the Yankees won. Like, what are you going to do, right? You, yeah. you put your lineup try and together. Try win every game. You try and win every game. Yeah. You put your lineup together. You manage your bullpen. It, this isn't the seventh game of the World Series yet. This is the last two weeks of the season, and I think you know. in that sense, it's kind of business sort of as usual, maybe not quite as usual. So, I don't think he's as oblivious
2: as maybe some people would right. take. This them. is what it's being made out to be, Grange. Like, this is not, this is just an idea. It's not actuality, is it?
7: Well, if you listen to the whole clip, he kind of contradicts himself because he says, you know, he didn't, he was asked that he know he's nine and a half games back at a certain point, and and he, he kind of says, Well, no, I don't look at the standings. But then a little later, he says, But he knew that they needed to sweep or do really well against the Yankees and the A's with the head back to back, or their season could be over. So I think he, you know, I think both can, things can be true. He may not have known exactly the record, exactly the games behind, and all these kind of little details. I buy that. You know, they, they look at the standings, they may not memorize them. Uh, but did he know where he was and the significance of? Uh, what they had to get done back in late August when they were looking way, way, way up at the Yankees. For sure he did. He has to. It's his job. There's no question
2: about it. All right. Uh, one more segment with the assembled roundtable. Brunt, Grange, and Adnan Verk will let you in on the equation next at Tim and Friends with Jesse Rubinoff. And then talk a little TV. Have the Mannings tripped into something real nice for ESPN? We'll discuss that next on Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends again. The pregame to the pregame Jason Ray starts right here on Tim and Friends. Shy to BD from the drop in less than 15 minutes. The virtual roundtable. Vert Grange and Brunch or Brunt standing by. Brunch, shall we? <laughs> no, man. <maybe. laughs> a little late. A little late for that. <laughs> uh, but as we do on this show, we like to open it up beyond the constraints of live TV to you at Tim and Friends on Twitter. Jesse Rubinoff, what are we hearing from the friends of the show?
3: Yeah, you can still have brunch. It's yeah, no September way. 21st. Um, yeah. All right, yeah. I was so thinking we, more
2: 545 <laughs> Eastern. Right. right.
3: Uh, we tweeted out uh, the clip of Charlie Montoya that you guys were just talking about in the last block, talking mm-hmm. about how he doesn't follow the standings, which... Obviously causes a stir when you say something like that as a manager in the major league. So we open that up to the folks on Twitter. And Gary says, he's clearly messing with people. I mean, there was his comment just the other day about people at Boston Pizza reacting to scores of the other games. Great point, Gary. Yes, very good point. Well done, Gary. David says, I can see that. They've been outstanding all month. Just focus on what's in front. Timmy, I think you were trying to make that point in the first block. Kobe says... To be honest, the goal is to win every game, and if he constantly is looking at the standings, that could get in his head a little and not just play the game to win. I can believe it as I know tons of players who don't look at standings either. Well, he knows tons Personally of players. Personally knows tons of players. Yeah, a little nice. bit of a flex. Yeah. Thank you, Kobe. <laughs> Tyler says you sit on a throne of lies, which <laughs> is basically what I was implying in the first block. And then Cliff says about as much as I believe Cole wasn't looking at the out-of-town scoreboard. <laughs> So,
2: yeah. good stuff. Good responses uh, to that. Awesome. All right, we restart the roundtable with a couple of writers and a novel idea surrounding the sidecast. ESPN's Monday Night Football has been struggling for years as Sunday night and even Thursday night broadcasts have passed them by. But they brought out the big guns in week one and may have stumbled onto something special here with the Mannings. For those who haven't seen it, here's a little taste.
8: I felt like the Packers were listening to Eli, you and I, our conversation on Friday about we've got to come out and run the ball. I think, I, think our, I think our conversation was bugged, you know, kind of like the Patriots
4: used to do back in the day. We played the Patriots in that second Super Bowl in Indianapolis, and they practiced at your facility all week. Were you a little nervous going back in your facility the next year that they didn't have like cameras in your quarterback room? Yeah
8: every time I played against New England we, I used to go and talk to my receivers like in the shower in the far corner. I'm like don't talk about a play next to my locker because I know it's bugged. <laughs> the best is when dad said hey Eli go easy on Peyton's forehead for a few weeks like for <laughs> a few weeks. So like in week seven when Seattle I'm plays the Saints you're coming back. Thanks a lot dad. My teammate Cam uh, Bray, uh just asked me the other day he goes Rob I have a serious question. He goes
0: do you ever watch film and I said no I don't it's I just run by guys if, I, if I'm feeling good I'm feeling good <laughs> and I actually do go up to Tom because I know Tom watches like I don't know 40 hours of film a week I go Tom who's covering you this week what type of coverages are they doing I go that's why I love playing with you, just know everything. <laughs>
2: all right let's start with that and then what do you think and is this something when you can see catching on around different leagues
0: Tim, I feel for my buddy, Steve Levy. He's doing a great job there at Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah. They bring in Peyton and Eli Manning. What are you going to watch now? Um, I've I really enjoyed it, Tim. Like, as a TV fan, you and I are go way back just as broadcasting geeks. I, I've i enjoyed it. I found it refreshing. At times, I do flip back to my man, leaves because I do want to hear some of the game. I want to see some of the broadcasting. But I do think it's been irreverent. ESPN has done this before. When I was there for the College Football National Championship, they'd have the game, uh, a typical broadcaster, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit. And then on ESPN2, there'd be all coaches talking together coaches who were not in the national championship so they've tried this idea before i'm big on alternative experience we know so many people now watch television while on their phone while on their ipad so what's to say you can't do it this way as well you can listen to the mannings on your ipad or ipod or phone and then you can actually watch the game broadcast as well i'm always in favor of innovation and give credit to espn they're trying something different Uh, And Peyton clearly is the entertainer here, right? Eli's a little more subdued, (laughs) a little more introverted. Peyton's the guy who's just being silly, putting his helmet on, making fun of his forehead. He's very self-deprecating, and it comes out naturally.
2: I don't know dudes that make fun of their forehead. Michael Grange, (laughs) what do you think about this?
0: Listen, it's a great
7: hedge against games that are bad or games that don't matter. And that's really what uh, any of these broadcasts are trying to do save until they get to great matchups or certainly certain points of the season of the playoffs where you can't help but watch anyway. So I think in that context, it's it's fantastic. I wonder how sustainable it is for a full three hours. I've seen the clips, it's great, but man, um, you know, could get a little, you know, they might run out of material, I guess, is what I'm wondering. Um, but like Adnan says, it's worth trying. I think ultimately, you know, like I say, for big games, big moments, you're going to want to be on the screen that the most people are watching, so
2: you have the ultimate shared experience. Uh, ten weeks is what they're doing this year, and I heard it's a three-year deal.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I, I'm intrigued by the fact that with all of the when we talk about kind of innovation and game coverage, it's all about technology. Normally, it's about yeah. cameras and about the things you can do and things you the way you can illustrate stuff on the field or show the ten uh, the, the first down liner, all of that stuff. Right. And that this innovation is two guys talking, right? <laughs> like essentially two two charming guys talking, and two guys who because they are and two guys who, um, you know, have obviously have a pedigree in the game, understand the game. I'm not sure it would work with just any two random guys talking uh, or even two random football guys talking. But And, you know, we'll see. Like, the novelty will, I think, the novelty will wear off. But how simple is that you know how simple is that idea
2: yeah without a doubt and I think you're going to see a bunch of people copy it really quickly and see if they can do something similar I don't know if there's two guys like them is there like what's the hockey equivalent like I know the basketball equivalent because it's basically the NBA on TNT Um, but is there adnet, is there a hockey equivalent to this
0: I worked with a couple of guys to me at ESPN World Cup of Hockey when he had it in 2016 and Brett Hull and Chris Chelios mm-hmm. and those guys were pretty good. Hull definitely <laughs> had that barkley S sense of being blunt and outspoken and Chelios uh, isn't necessarily outspoken but he's obviously a great pedigree as Steven said like the Mannings have as well. Those are the first ones that come to mind. Hull and Chelios, those guys would be pretty good. Mikey, you got an idea here?
7: Yeah, I mean I'm going to blank on any particular name but I think hockey in a way would benefit a lot from this because there's just you know i think we've seen kevin biaxa at times yeah. kind of really go into some of the nuances you know in between intermissions of some of the real subtleties about what's an incredibly fast game that even if you're uh, really familiar with it you miss and so i think there is room for it in hockey and if you get two guys to talk honestly about the hate that'd be pretty good
2: yeah Without a doubt. All right, uh, finally, Jim Houston officially retired today. Great save, Lawongo. <laughs> Figured I had to get that. Great well save. Done. Yes. Well done. Um, he is one of the best to ever do it. Steven, you've been around for a while. Like, Where does he rank among the great play-by-play man well
1: you know not many guys have occupied that chair right the number one chair on hockey night in canada it's the biggest uh, it's the most important broadcasting sports broadcasting gig in this country and has been for 60 plus years so he's that puts him in very rare air by all by itself he's also you know did a tremendous job on baseball play-by-play so he's a two-sport guy but i, I you know i think you just think of jim's you know utter kind of professionalism really um I, I think you could throw anything in front of him, any game situation in front of him, almost any situation, period, and Jim Houston would. You know, the ability to think on your feet to be clear, and God knows I, I have never done it and I have no idea. You've done it. Yeah. Um but I, I gotta Try think to. it's it's awfully challenging and you know he's he's one of the very best.
2: Yeah, he's he's remarkably smooth and it's funny because earlier today I was looking at NHL.com and they were promoting the idea of, of TNT, TBS and ESPN changing the way they do hockey and then you you've worked at espn you're down there do you think that uh... we're gonna see something different from these two networks trying to do what many before have tried to do in the states getting past the
0: hardcore coverage Absolutely, Tim. You mentioned it earlier with the NBA and TNT. I mean, listen, everyone's trying to copy Turner's model. So when you look at Turner and Eastman, what they're doing is first off hire the big names. Who's the greatest star of all time? Wayne Gretzky. Okay, pay him five million dollars. Turner's got him now. How many weeks? I'm not sure if Gretz is that good an analyst, but he's the greatest player of all time. Let's surround him with some, some friends. Darren Pang, he's buddies with Keith Jones. Okay, they'll supplement way and make him excited uh answer car obviously is a real pro from nbc so they've obviously got a good pedigree and they're taking from nbc eddie olchek obviously i mentioned panger jackie Redman, one of my colleagues of course great job at SportsCenter for years with us at nhl network so clearly we know what turner is doing okay let's just copy the nba model and as far as espn's concerned again big names in mark messier and chris Chelios, but let's also try and teach the viewers something let's not be as sensationalistic so i feel like just from a broad brush Turner's more about entertainment. ESPN will try to be entertaining, but also provide some sizzle as well.
2: Mike, do you think they'll get there? I mean, we, we've been saying this for years. Like, I don't know if the American market is just ready for hockey at that level.
7: Well, I think they—they they, the challenge you're always going to have in that market is how many people are playing. And because I, I think when with hockey, if you haven't been around it yeah. um, at a kind of a almost introductory level, it's really hard to kind of just get swept up in it and maybe that's that's wrong i'm maybe i'm not speaking from the knowledge of the other side very well but uh i would say this i mean the power of those two broadcasters the resources they have if they are determined you know there will not be an american sports fan who won't have the opportunity to see hockey in a way that maybe they hadn't thought of and could some of that bleed over into the coverage we see just because maybe they you know uncover rocks that we hadn't considered Um, That could be a good thing, too. But, um, you know, I think hockey's, look, it's fine to be a niche sport in a huge market, which the United States is. And uh, I understand there's to grow it. I don't know if you can pull it off.
2: Uh, We'll see uh, if they are determined to get those hockey fans and beyond into the game. Uh, We have Plumrod out of time. Brunt in Toronto. I guess Grange in the greater Toronto area. And Virkin, Jersey. Thanks for doing this, boys. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, boys. Alright,
2: uh, we are out of time after the break, though. We will tee up the Jays and Rays, Shy Davidi still on the way. Plus, hockey is almost here. Training camps about to open with plenty of pressure on Canadian teams. We will examine with Elliot Friedman. Next. Tim and Friends stop for Tim and Friends.
1: Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends, stop for Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real
2: Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here, hour number two, full hour on Sportsnet 360, including a conversation with the Hawks, Seth Jones. Also, with the news that Jim Houston is retiring, we will take a look back at some of his best calls over the years. That's right, hashtag great save Luongo. Plus, coming up in moments, Elliot Friedman on the eve of of NHL training camps opening across North America and shy of from the drop. Full show, kids, still an hour to go on both channels. Jay's trying to bounce back from last night's loss. Blue Jay Central comes your way, 6:30 Eastern ahead of the game. Of course, Jay's now three and four at the drop this season and enter the night, just a half game up on the Yankees for the second wild card. They're one and a half back of Boston. For the first wild card, got it good and since you understood, Alec Manoa on the mound for the Jays, got some extra rest between starts after a sparkling eight innings of one hit ball with 10 Ks against the Rays last Monday. Rays will counter with Drew Rasmussen, who has been good since being converted. They basically stretched him out and he has turned into another arm that they can bank on. The converted reliever doesn't go deep, but has been very effective. Here's the lineup that he will face. Usual top five, Springer stays at DH. Alejandro Kirk catches again, will bat sixth. Corey Dickerson is in center. He will hit eighth, and Bravik Valera, who should have drawn a walk yesterday in the ninth inning, will bat ninth. Charlie Montoya was asked if the extra day's rest will benefit his young starter.
0: Honestly, you never know. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but I know for sure he needed it because, you know, because his workload and stuff. So it, it, it was good. It was good uh, that, that he, he got it. But of course, he's facing the same thing he just faced last week. So you just never know what's going to happen. But I know physically that that's only that can only be good for him.
2: Elsewhere in the AL wildcard race, the Red Sox host the Mets. Jays fans hoping that Marcus Stroman can do them a favor at Fenway tonight as he faces Eduardo Rodriguez. The Yankees sent Jordan Montgomery to the mound against Texas and Dane Dunnan. While well, the Mariners and A's try and stay in the fight, Seattle starting the night, three back of the Jays, Oakland, two back. Shy Daviti coming up from the Trop in just a wee bit as game night starts right here. On Tim and Friends, it's almost game time in the NHL preseason gets underway Saturday. Leafs and Habs will kick it all off. Regular season just three weeks away after a short offseason. Plenty of pressure on all seven Canadian teams entering camp. With more on that, here's Alex Doria.
5: In beautiful Canada, winter can get pretty cold from coast to coast, but this winter, when hockey returns, it'll feel like a pressure cooker. Because in one way or another, all seven Canadian NHL teams will feel the heat come October, and some will need their seasons to go well past April to avoid tensions boiling over.
0: And Lightning has struck twice, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions.
5: The mighty underdogs just a season ago have big questions ahead. How can they replace their heart and soul captain for the entire season? And how will they perform up the middle without Deneau and Cockaniemi? The Atlantic division is back and the Habs need these questions answered in a hurry. Did someone mention pressure?
0: It's gonna be deja blue again for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens are headed to Winnipeg for the second round of the Stanley Cup Playoffs.
5: Five straight years of first round exits, 16 since their last series win, it could be a make or break season for Kyle Dubas and this young Leafs core he's put his faith in. Dubas didn't make any big time splashes in free agency and lost some key pieces. This team will ask for more from their depth this season, and in net, all eyes will be on the combo of Campbell and Mrazek. Now, let's check in on the best player on the planet.
3: We have high expectations in here for ourselves. We've been building something here for the last couple of years, and it's time to put it all together. The old excuse that we're young guys is, is no longer for us as a group. The time is now.
5: This is a guy who's tired of losing. So enter a winner. Duncan Keith brings leadership and experience to this roster, But what will he bring on the ice? We know what Zach Hyman brings, hard work, which could help elevate Connor McDavid's potential even higher. Mike Smith is 39 and needs to be great again, but if the defense can hold and the support for McDavid comes through, this could be a dangerous club. Elsewhere in Alberta, the pressure is on Daryl Sutter to get this team to the postseason and win around for the first time since 2015. Losing a do-it-all player like Mark Giordano hurts, but the Flames hope the void can be filled by committee Adding this guy may help. Nikita Zadorov, he's a beast, 6'5", 230, and he's had some bone-crushing hits. Blake Coleman also brings championship experience to a team whose core came into question last year, but those guys can prove the doubters wrong with a strong season. Further west, the young core will be leaned on heavily in Vancouver as the Canucks look to rebound from a challenging season to forget. But new year, new nucks. Braden Holpe and longtime Canuck Alex Edler are among those out, while O.E.L. and Yarrow Halak are in. As long as RFAs Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes get signed soon, it could be a big bounce back year for this club. In Manitoba, the Jets were good last season. But after sweeping the Oilers in the spring, they ran into a team of near destiny. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Paul Stastny is back and Nate Schmidt comes over from Vancouver. It's the first full season for potential star Pierre-Luc Dubois, and never count this team out for as long as they have Vesna winner Connor Hellebuck in goal. And finally, don't forget about the pesky Sens, whose peskiest player is still unsigned. Dad held out, Matthew held out, and Brady looks like he's on his way right now. I'm hoping he just, you know, gets better soon, but I guess it can only get better from the sounds of it, so we'll see. We've seen this before in the nation's capital. When it's time to pay big stars big money, the wallet gets, let's say, forgotten at home, and that shiny piece eventually gets shipped out of town. So, bridge deal for Brady incoming? While negotiations continue for the 22-year-old, life must go on for one of the youngest teams in the NHL, a team expected to take a big step forward, which mounts pressure even on a team who finished in the lower half of the standings last year. Their talent flashed down the stretch, they're rebuilding still, but as they do every year, they'll surprise with some of their skill. The North Division is no more, and the temperature has been turned up for Canada's teams. We'll see who can handle the heat.
2: Well done, Alex. My next guest is one of those dudes you need to follow on Twitter to do sports right. From the NHL on Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, and 31 slash 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Here's Elliot Friedman.
8: What's good for How are you, man? I'm good, Tim. It's 32. It's a mindset, Tim. It's a a mindset. It it is a mindset. The season starts. (laughs) It's
2: 32 now. It's a mindset. I understand. And and let's be honest. One extra thought can be tough.
8: I got to tell you, I'm running it now. I want to get it done tonight. <laughs> yeah. I'm really regretting these last couple of expansions. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, last week, I was saying that if you asked every market which Canadian team was under the most pressure, most would say their market. You heard Alex Doria roll through it. Which Canadian team, in your mind, is under the most pressure?
8: Toronto. Yeah. Uh, I I do think it's Toronto this year. Um, you know, I I think that. And I've been just talking to a couple of the players, you know, last week, last week we spoke to Matthews and Marner at the tour, um, you know, this week and just some other players and people around them I've talked to. Um, I think they know that if the Maple Leafs don't, you know, at least win around and get some, some level of success and people can define how they want success in all sorts of different ways. But at least they get unless they get some sort of playoff success this year, there's going to be changes and they're going to be on the ice and they're going to be off the ice. And, you know, everybody knows that. And one of the things that a couple of players said is that, you know, the organization has made a point of saying like, we're not guaranteed a playoff berth here. I don't know how you handicap it, Tim, or or people watching or listening handicap it. But I look at it as you've got Tampa, your playoff lock, you've got Detroit and Buffalo who are, are not going to be in the playoffs. And then you've got five teams for three spots. You know, it's, it's Toronto. It's it's Florida. Who I think is really good. Yep. It's uh, Montreal. It, it's Ottawa. I mean, there's there, there's some good teams there in that division. I think it's five teams for three spots. And you know, I think it's going to be a battle And Boston, of course. I didn't yeah. even mention Boston.
2: I was just going to say, I don't know if these are your dad's Bruins, but they're still a pretty good team. I, I, I was pondering the landscape. They're my
8: older brother's Bruins.
2: Is your older brother's yeah. Bruins. Yeah, I was <laughs> pondering the landscapes as camps open. And yeah. listen, I get, I agree with you with the Leafs on the entire year. But are the mm-hmm. unsigned RFA's the biggest story in the league right now?
8: Yeah, I, you know, I think I think Bat and Eichel.
2: You know, I. You know,
8: for example, with Eichel, you know, my guess is, uh, um, you know, he's he's going to be in, he's going to go to camp. My my bet my bet this is my personal opinion, Tim, on what happens is that they're going to he's going to fail his physical, and my guess is I wouldn't be surprised too if the Sabers also announce he's no longer the captain, and then we'll kind of see where we're going here. Um, I think at some point in time, you know, they there's a lot of hard feelings here. And, you know, someone said to me that, you know, Eichel knows that right now, he's probably not going to be healthy enough if he has surgery now to play in the Olympics. And that's really added another level of disappointment to all this, you know, the Sabres are disappointed with how the whole uh, Eichel era has, has turned out. Uh, he's disappointed with this whole situation. The fact that it may very well cost him a spot in the Olympics. Um, I just the the one thing I'm trying to figure out here is do we get an agreement on what kind of procedure he's going to do and I don't I don't have clarity on that but I expect he's going to fail the physical and I expect they'll say he's no longer the captain and then we'll see what else they're going to announce
2: that seems like just a tire fire to start Um, do you feel like you could get some sort of answer outside like do you trade him and then let another team figure out what they're going to do medically
8: you know, I, I think that's that's one of the things that I was kind of expecting to happen in the summer. Right. Um, you know, honestly, Tim, it, it's it's really hard to say. I, I think, you know, I, I was told at the draft there there were about around fifteen teams that really were talking, mm-hmm. and you know that number decreases and. You know, I think like I heard even as recently as a couple weeks ago, I heard there were a couple teams looking at it. Now I think we're all going to wait and see what the Sabers announce here. Like, what do the doctors say when they see him? You know, what what do they see? Um, hmm. it, like, I wish I had a better Crazy. update for you. Yeah. I I think this is the best I can tell you right now. I think he fails the physical. I think they take the C away, and you know, and, and we see what what happens medically here it's it's very frustrating for everybody involved for eichel the sabers everyone here and I, I wish i had a better answer for you but i don't
2: and the fans are probably more frustrated than both the team and the player i'm not sure which brother lobbying was bigger news matthew kachuk on your podcast or jack hughes here on tim and friends mm-hmm. and it all might just be a part of the negotiations but which one of those quinn hughes or brady kachuk is closer to finding a resolution that's a great question.
8: Um, well, th- this is what I tell you about the, the two situations, I think. You know, first of all, I think we have to uh, understand that, you know, the younger players today, I was talking about this with Drew Doughty. Like, from Doughty's era, there weren't a lot of guys like him, but the younger generation, they're pretty blind. Yeah. You know, you ask them a question, you're going to get an answer. You know, we put, you know, Jack Hughes, you talked about that answer. We, we had him on the podcast too. And people yeah. were saying, wow, like that guy is really honest. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's no lying there. Yeah. And we all know how the Kachuks are like, this is the way this generation is going to be. And everybody's going to have to deal with it. Um, you know, I think w- to me with Brady Kachuk, I don't think that that is one is that far away. Um, in the sense of like just the pure numbers, right? Right. Like, I don't think in terms of a contract, the senators and kachuk that far i think what the issues are is structure and potentially uh no trade protection uh throughout the deal like you know ottawa doesn't do really bonuses and you know kachuk i think would probably want some bonuses like a lot of stars get um you know also that i think also potentially trade protection is an issue there you know, the Hughes one with Vancouver, you know, Hughes has can't offer sheet, uh, is an arbitration eligible. The Canucks really have the hammer there. And the thing I've really heard, Tim, is that they have looked over like every possible deal with Hughes, every possible deal with them, like one, like short term, long term, and they're not there. And, and what I've heard, and I, I've heard this a little bit of a stalemate. I think the Canucks have kind of said, you know, we've. Like They've been talking every day. I I really do think, I think both sides have really been grinding at this. And the thing I've heard about uh, Patterson and Hughes, and I could look like a total idiot in 10 minutes, they could announce it's all changed and they've made deals. But I, I just heard the most recent thing I heard was that everybody here was kind of at a little bit of a stalemate and we'll see what moves. Like, I don't think the start of training camp is really a big deal. I know the teams feel that way. I know the coaches feel that way. I don't feel that way. The players take, stay in good shape. They work hard during the summer. Like nobody shows up like a broadcaster at the beginning of the season. Tim, fifty pounds overweight after <laughs> downing two fours all summer. Right. They they're ready to go. I I think I think the players see it as their true leverage is the games. I don't think they worry as much about training camp as the teams do.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the old days are gone where you use training camp to get in shape. These guys come to training camp in shape, ready to go. But there is some pressure in and around this country on a lot of gms to get something done and the one thing i'll say free and we're we'll running out of time here is i think the pacific division may offer an opportunity for a few of those gms to look a little better than they did last year in the north
8: i i agree with that i think it's the most open division tim yeah. vegas and then who are you picking
2: right Without a doubt, uh, Fridge always like catching up with you. Thanks for doing this, and you don't look like you've added 50 pounds in any way, shape, or form.
8: <laughs> someone, someone just sent me a text saying I can't see half your face. It's the best you've ever looked on television.
2: <laughs> you do look a little dark nightish. ish Like you almost look <laughs> like uh, what's the opera where the guy has the the phantom? Fat, of the phantom Opera. You have a little Phantom of the of Opera, opera yeah. shade going yeah. on right now, uh, <laughs> and you haven't looked better. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, Tim. Take care, guys. See you later, <laughs> Jesse. Bye. I, I love how Fridge is getting texts while he's on the air, then reading them while he's also on the air. That's an important guy. A lot of contacts. <laughs> yeah. uh, when we come back, we will head to the drop. Jay's trying to rebound from a series opening loss to the Rays and something very interesting from Arash Madani crossing our desks from last night that you're not going to want to miss. Shai Davidi joins us next to discuss the Rays cheating Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Uh, Rash Badani breaking some news on the interwebs. While we were speaking to Elliot Friedman, he tweets, the Blue Jays are not happy with some video. Last night in the sixth inning, Kevin Kiermaier slides into home and grabbed a card. That card, I'm told, was from Alejandro Kirk's wristband that fell out on the tag, on the card. The Blue Jays' game plan on pitching to raise hitters Arash spoke with Kiermaier and have his comments we won't go through all of them but the Jays are pissed as a team source told Arash Medani, if there's one card we wouldn't want any opponent to have it's that one joining us now from the trop which seems to be now rather temperamental is shy Davidi shy how are you man I'm all right. How's it going? Uh, Not better than apparently Alejandro Kirk after he (laughs) drops the scouting report right in Kevin Kiermaier's lap. Like, what's the latest from down there right now?
6: Well, I've had a chance to check in with Rays GM Eric Neander, and he was. Uh, this was moments after he had just finished a conversation with Ross Atkins, and he said that he had just learned of the incident. He was going to the clubhouse to investigate the matter. Uh, shortly afterwards, Rays manager Kevin Cash came out to discuss uh, things with Charlie Montoyo, and I think the sense is that the Rays aren't fully aware, at least this is the argument that, uh, or the response to this point, that they aren't fully aware of this. But it looked, uh, based on the video that we saw, that Kevin Kiermaier passed the card to a race coach, Paul Hoover, uh, who then took it. So it could be that it stayed within that realm of the team and didn't make its way or word didn't make its way up to Kevin Cash. But you know, the, when the Blue Jays realized that uh, the card had fallen out of Kirk's wristband, they send a bat boy over and said to the Rays, hey, you know, this fell out, give it back. And, you know, the, there was a joke reply in return and basically said, hey, we, we don't hit uh, Robbie Ray no matter what or something along those lines. And so the Blue Jays took it as a making light of the incident. But it could be that one part of the Rays dugout wasn't aware of what was happening in another part. But, but clearly, this is uh, something that is very upsetting to the Blue Jays for very obvious reasons. Uh, it is something that, you know, the Rays, it's, I don't know, do you think about this as something that is against the rules? I mean, what what would be the rule be on something that you find on the field? You know, should, uh, should Kevin Kiermaier have left it or is it finders keepers? So I think that it, there's going to raise a number of interesting topics uh, and there's potential for quite a bit of fallout from this.
2: This is uh, ethics versus rules because I don't know if there's anything in the rule book that would talk about a scouting report on an arm and Kevin Kiermaier when he explained it said initially he thought it was his own scouting report though I probably (laughs) you would know what yours look like versus the other teams and they wouldn't be all that similar the video is almost shocking because he looks down there's this like point of realization and a quick scoop up. But for me, shy for the uninitiated too, like what's on this chart that the Rays can use?
6: So I think there's a couple of things. So there's going to be all this information in terms of how the Blue Jays want to attack certain pitchers, uh, uh, certain hitters, excuse me. Uh, but there's also going to be some other information about managing the game and things along those lines that, you know, the Blue Jays certainly wouldn't want their opponents to see. And, and while the information I guess it is in some ways some of it will be fairly obvious The will be on display in terms of how the Blue Jays pitch the Rays hitters on that specific night, so you can figure out some of it. But I think what is the bigger concern if you're the Blue Jays is that It gives the the Rays a window into their methodology, the type of information that they're presenting to to their players, how they're presenting it, what they're valuing, what they're putting a priority. It really gives them some insights into exactly how the Blue Jays game plan. And, you know, considering that these teams play each other 19 times a year, they're obviously playing games that are, are of high meaning right now. There's the potential that if the Blue Jays make it to the postseason that they can advance, they could play, meet the Rays in the division series. You know, this is not something that you would want to have happen to you. So I think there, for all those reasons, this is something that's going to be troubling for the Blue Jays. And I think there is, you know, some gray to this, whether, you know, just how offside is this? You know, I think that, You know, once the Blue Jays say, "Hey, you know, that's ours. Give it back," you can you can argue that at that point, yeah, you probably should return it. Then, Uh, you know, the the Blue Jays realized they'd made a mistake, realized it was lost on them that the Rays got to look at it, but they should give it back at that point. On the flip side, you know, you could say, "Hey." You know, you're not going to be responsible enough to pick it up right after the falls and check to make sure that you know you're in possession of your data cards. You know, that's on you. So I think there there's a lot of really interesting gray in this. Um, yeah, I'm, the, a I'm doubt. not sure how it's going to land at this point. Without
2: a doubt, and and listen, I'll be honest with you. If if that fell in my lap and I was a big league player, I would definitely give it back after I made six copies and made sure that everyone <laughs> saw it. The, the part that's interesting to me is. Kiermaier spoke to Arash Madani, and I'm just going to, there was a lot said here. I'm just going to read a little, a little caption from what was said, and this is from Kiermaier, and I quote, everything was so quick, and after I did it, I was like, dang, their scouting reports or whatever it was, was on the ground, and I grabbed it. Like I said, it got to the point that I'm not going to return it or do that. It's September, whatever. I didn't know what was going on. Which sounds a little Mille De Moore sex Cruise like <laughs> where you realize you've done something wrong and now you're just scrambling for the words in an attempt to try and explain it. And I see Alec Manoa on the mound today and he's never been shy since coming up with the Jays on exacting some sort of retribution but this game seems like it's too big for him to do that. Like to me this, this is an ethics thing and the Rays may have crossed the line on the ethics but not crossed the rules line.
6: Yeah I mean look I, I saw so I'll give you two thoughts on that first is like you know this is a game that is obviously a big priority for the blue Jays, right they need to get to 91 or 92 wins to ensure that they're going to the postseason. So you know as much as you know you want to send a message and you want vengeance and you know unwritten baseball rules whatever you want to describe it you know The number one priority is winning this baseball game. And I think the the blue jays cannot do anything that would risk put that at risk as well. You know, if you put yourself in a situation that ends up that you, you Could be facing discipline i mean that's obviously not good and you you just have to look back to 2016 when you know the blue jays got into that brawl with the yankees in the last week of the season joaquin benoit blew out running in from the bullpen to get involved they lost one of their key relievers great point that's about as good a cautionary tale as you can have on that front now the second piece i think you know this is why teams are so paranoid The, the blue jays they travel with their own shredder and every time they go into a road city they shred every single document that they print up to ensure that nothing gets left behind you know uh, one one blue jays player we were talking to it was saying that he makes sure that his caps are empty before they go into a case just in case there's a clubby that may pick out one of their cards with the you know the sign sequencing uh, right. and pass it along to the other club so th- this is this is the level of, of uh, caution that teams are taking with their information and their data and this is one point in time where, you know, there's a big play at the plate, yeah. you know, the Blue Jays getting an out that's pretty important there. And, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer looks down and I got a surprise. I'm taking it.
2: We have, uh, we have run out of time, but we will continue this conversation on Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet with Arash Medani. So we're going there next. We thank Shai Davidi for joining us from the chop and we will continue on Sportsnet 360 with Tim and friends. Greg is really mad at me for saying that I would make photocopies of it before giving it back. You ain't treating, you ain't trying. There's a lot of people that live by that. This is, an, this is a real interesting one for Major League Baseball, for the Jays and the Rays, especially when you consider that if the Jays get through the wild card, they will face the Rays in the postseason. First of all, I, I, there were a lot of things that Shai said there that
3: I was kind of taken aback by. The Jays shred all of their documents when they leave. Like that was hear, one. Like that didn't was unbelievable. you hear the Mannings
2: talking about
3: the Patriots? Yeah. yeah.
2: Like that ish happens
3: all the time. Right. Like I, I think we're in the minority here, but I don't really see an issue with Kevin Kiermeyer taking the, the game plan. Why is your game plan on the field? Why? Like why is it's not? They're not using electronics. You dropped it. Right. He picked it up. He took it. This isn't a Houston Astros situation. You guys brought the game plan on the field. It was on the field, dropped, Kiermaier picks it up and takes it back. Now, that could be your game plan. That could be your scouting report on the Rays hitters. So change it. Like change it. If you they're telling you to yeah, that's... if that's telling you to to throw inside to certain guys, no, but then that... they're going to be thinking that you know that they're thinking to, that you're going to throw inside. So throw outside. Like if they, just get to another
2: level here. Like this is this is sports. It's a scouting report. You spend years on the scouting report for each guy. Like, you yes. understand that. Like, you're going away from their strengths. So, the scouting report is telling you to stay right. away from the strengths. Here's the deal I, I, I think it was, I think that he knew what he was doing, I think he knew he was cheating. And I think the history of baseball suggests that you do everything that you can in order to get the upper hand. Do I think ethically it's okay? No. No. But this is a game where people were like, ah, steroids. This is a game where people consider relaying signs from second base as a skill. And you just handed the opposition basically all of the signs, and you expect them to go, Meh, I'm okay with this. We'll just give it back to them. I I don't think that's real life.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not like he has a hundred pages of documents. It was something that you brought on the field. Right. It's one page. How much information could really be on one page? Well, apparently, like, apparently The It seems, like it's, the, a, to it be seems really like it's pissed. a lot. I, I mean, sure, they can be upset. Like obviously, they're going to be upset. The guy picked up the game plan and walked back to the dugout with it. But they also brought the game plan on the field. It's just. My way of looking at uh, it.
2: Ramiro wrote in and said, the Astros are trying to acquire Kiermaier since yesterday. <laughs> <That's> pretty... <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's really huge. <good. laughs> I'm, uh, I'm hearing right now some breaking news from the NHL. Yeah. Uh, Kaprizov, uh, are we hearing five years average annual value of $9 million? Like, He jumped onto the scene. The Minnesota Wild obviously valued him, and he was playing the KHL off of the NHL. Uh, But Frank Saravalli saying, Kirill Kaprizov, five years, $9 million a year. (laughs) I mean, that was a lot of
3: stress for the Minnesota Wild. He was working out in Russia. Like you said, he was playing the KHL off against. They had to get rid of guys because they
2: knew they were going to have to pony up some money here. Yeah.
3: I mean, that's a lot of money, and the Wild just made it official. It's a lot of money, but, he, I mean, he had a great year, and he seems like he's going to be a cornerstone for them for a long time, and that's what you have to pay in this league.
2: Well, he better be a cornerstone of that franchise moving forward yeah. if he just got $9 $9 All million, million. right, uh, throughout the last week uh, and change, we've been playing you some of the interviews that we've had from NHL Media Days in Toronto and Chicago. Today, we've got one final one for your viewing pleasure. Last week in Chicago, we caught up with one of the newest Blackhawks, seth jones to discuss his move from columbus to chicago playing with his brother caleb jones who was traded from edmonton and had some fun with some chicagoland trivia hope you enjoy this conversation tim McCall, seth jones
4: one of
1: the best in the business on the blue
4: line in seth jones watch out for seth jones who really has
5: developed into a superstar defender down the way jones to yeah, the front he, of the net and played. scores what a great effort Seth Jones. Seth Jones just said, I'll take it from
0: here. One of the best in the NHL in Seth Jones. Just watch Seth Jones steady pillar, not only as
5: a defenseman, but as a leader. Making plays and putting the grind in the game.
2: A true defenseman, a two-way defenseman. I think he'll be a perennial Norris candidate. I'm a huge, huge fan of the player. He's got the whole package, and he will be at the top of this league on the defensive side for years to come. We are now joined by one of the newest members of the Chicago Blackhawks, Seth Jones. Seth, longtime listener, first-time caller. Appreciate you doing this uh, with, here, with us here on Tim and Friends.
4: No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh,
2: not at all. I, I know it's uh, not the first time you switched teams, but has it sunk in yet, the Chicago Blackhawks, Seth Jones?
4: It has. It has. I actually got to Chicago on Sunday. I uh, got all moved into my place, and... Um, You know I skated with the guys Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. So I think this week it's really starting to hit home that I'm here. I'm happy I'm here and I can't wait for camp to start. What was it
2: about the Hawks? I mean obviously besides the money I like money uh, but what made this feel right for you.
4: Um, I just love everything about the organization. I think it's um, it's a great city. Uh, I love the fan base here. I love playing at United Center. Um, You know we have a couple Hall of Famers on our team which is awesome. Uh, but we also have some up and coming, you know, young players as well that, uh, you know, still have some developing to do, same with myself. Um, I think we have a, gro- a lot of growing to do as a team, and uh, we want to get back to that uh, cup contention um, team that we were before.
2: Uh, your brother Caleb, and that's for the audience because I'm pretty sure that you know his name, also dealt to the Hawks yeah. uh, in the off-season. How cool is it to be able to play with your brother when you are able to?
4: It's awesome. Uh, it was crazy. He got traded two weeks before I did. Um, he was happy, um, he needed a change of scenery uh, from Edmonton and he was extremely excited to be here. And when I got traded it was like kind of surreal. Um, uh, we haven't even played against each other believe it or not so I've been in the league for eight years now and uh, every time we've had the opportunity, you know, Columbus has played uh, Edmonton, yeah. I've been hurt or he's been up or down or whatever the case is. But um it's crazy we're playing with each other
2: now that's awesome and i do appreciate you powering through the noise that is behind you like a true veteran of the game um i I know (laughs) you both you both played for the u.s developmental team and portland so not only have you never played against each other like i'm assuming that you've never played on the same team together
4: never never this is the very first time we will be on the ice Uh, we train together in the austria and stuff but like this is the first time we'll play together like, for
2: good. So, he's he's a left shot, D. You're you're a right shot, D. Have you ever thought – I mean, I know he's younger and he's got to earn his spot, but have have you ever thought maybe <laughs> that's a D pairing?
4: Never. Hey, you never know. You never know, right? I meant to talk to Jeremy about uh, the opening <laughs> night face-off. Uh, put us out together. That's That'd awesome.
2: Pretty cool. That's awesome. So, it's not just your brother, obviously. Some pretty good players on the Chicago team. You said Hall of Famers, Kane, Taves coming back, Marc-Andre Fleury. Do, do you feel Fleury, like yeah. – yeah, you feel like this team could be right back in the thick of things in the West?
4: I think so. Uh, like you said, our, our additions that we got, we got Tyler Johnson as well. He knows how to win yeah. uh, with being there in Tampa the past few years. Um, you know, we got Jujar from, uh, from Edmonton. Uh, so we got McCabe as well from Buffalo. We have, I mean, I think we have a, a good team. Now uh, We re-signed Murph. Um, I think we have a, a solid team uh, with depth, and, you know, with Doc being so young and um, and strong being a heck of a player, too, uh, I think we can do some damage this year. Uh,
2: the team obviously put up a lot for you to get in there. Uh, does that add pressure to your game?
4: Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just going to go play my game. Uh, I want to be uh, you know, one of the best defensemen in the league um, this year for the Hawks, and, and the rest of my time I'm here. So, um, you know, I need to stick to what I know and go out and play hockey and, and have fun doing it.
2: Hey, I talked to Darnell Nurse about his 62:07 of ice time against the Jets earlier in the week. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you see that game by chance, and did it trigger flashbacks to the unbelievable 65:05 you played against Tampa in 2020 to set the NHL record?
4: Yeah, I did watch it. Uh, Caleb, he wasn't playing, but I'm, yeah. I'm obviously watching the game still, and um, that was amazing. I mean, what a performance, 62 minutes, and it was like two less OTs, I think, than... I think they played three OTs maybe instead of five and uh, I mean he was just a monster out there so I'm happy for him and they they kept putting up the graphic you know the most (laughs) time on ice ever and so that's why I kind of brought back memories I, I couldn't help it when I was watching the game.
2: Were you kind of hoping he wouldn't get to 65? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, then I, I probably would have to play 66 or something the next year. Maybe. <laughs> uh, all right. With the NHL
2: announcing that the league is going back to the Olympics, I, I, I know you've pulled on that American jersey a ton of times, but did hearing that the NHL is going to Beijing get you excited?
4: Extremely excited. Extremely excited. Um, like you said, I've played uh, with USA Hockey, uh, put on the jersey at you know under-18s and, and U-20s and World Juniors. Um got the chance to win gold there in Russia, um, but Olympics is a different level. you know NHL players are are playing in it. It's the best players in the in the whole world. and um, you know hopefully I get that opportunity to play. and if I do, then I end up going. then um, I think we have a good chance to uh, to do something special there.
2: Awesome. Um, I know uh, we don't get you a lot here. before I let you go, I wanted to have a little fun and do a little test on the new Chicago home with a little Chicago land sports trivia would you be up for five questions near rapid fire styles. Sure I'm going to do my best. All right let's go. I, I, I hope they're not too difficult but they are Chicagoland trivia so we'll start with something that I think might be a layup for you this goat's last dance actually happened with Washington but he won 10 scoring titles with the Bulls name this Chicagoland hero. Michael Jordan. Alright, that's easy for the guy. That's easy. easy Alright, right, let's get tougher here. Some folks may argue he's the GOAT, not me. My first jersey, Navy and Burr orange, 3-4. His sweetness on and off the field caused the NFL to name their man of the year award after him. Name this Chicagoland Hero. I don't know. I don't
4: know. It's a bear's though. I mean, I don't know.
2: Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Uh, Alright. This ridiculous two-sport athlete played two seasons with the White Sox, also played with the Kansas City Royals, the Los Angeles Angels, and the Los Angeles Raiders. He wore number eight with the White Sox, and it would be a great throwback if you were to rock it walking into a game or practice. Can you name this two-sport Chicagoland hero?
4: Oh, Jackson? Yes.
2: Alright. Two out of three ain't bad. Let's go two more. Stan Makita's Donuts is a fictional donut shop in the greater Chicagoland suburb of Aurora, Illinois, as the hang out in what Mike Myers' classic film. What film was Stan Makita's Donuts in? And to be fair to you, this was also made two years before you were born.
4: I was gonna. That was my first question. I was gonna ask if I was born when this movie came out, because this isn't fair. No. But I actually don't know.
2: You don't? All right. All right. It's Wayne's World. It's a Canadian thing. All right. Yeah, I, Wayne's I, World. I, it's a biased thing, and I know I might have had a bias. Mm-hmm. So if we go Canadian, how about I throw this one in? This is my last one. And it's kind of a Canadian question for you, like, eh? Okay, so we're gonna get some Canadian in there yeah. for you, bud. <laughs> all right. This, yeah. rap, this Raptors legend led the team in rebounding in 1996-97. Can you name this Raptors legend who led the team in rebounding?
4: I mean, I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> it might be. It might be. There's a proper job. Hey, there it
2: is! <laughs> there we go, there we go. Oh, thanks for the layout. Figured to the two biased ones from when you weren't even born yet. Walter Payton way before your time. Yeah. I admit it. Yeah, uh, Wayne's I mean. World before your time. I admit it. But like I said to you uh, before we started this, I'm 45 and kind of fat. So I apologize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go hey, thanks I'm a lot. For, uh, thanks a lot for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, man. There is uh, Seth Jones, Chicago. going to be an interesting team this year. All right, there is plenty of feedback on this Kiermaier thing. We'll do some of it in the last call and Jim Houston announces his retirement. We'll look back next on Tim and Friends. This Kevin Kiermaier teefing the Jays card on the information scouting report from Alejandro Kirk is absolutely running right now. Uh, We put up a poll at Tim and Friends. Should Kiermaier have immediately given Kirk's game card back 63% of you say yes, over a 1,000 votes already. Um, Andrew writes in and says, Why is it his job to just give it back? It's a competitive advantage that he gained while doing nothing illegal. It was so important the catcher should have done a better job securing the paper. It's it's in a wristband. Uh, Josie writes (laughs) in and says, Hope you never drop your car keys or wallet somewhere and someone like you finds them. And writes in and says, maybe that's why the Rays didn't want to review the play, which is a great point. I mean, it's just sitting right there. It is obvious he sees it and seizes the opportunity. Nate writes in and says, they should have to go back to being the Devil Rays after this. You know, like, NFL teams will sign guys that get cut by another team hoping that they just remember the playbook. So that they can have them on the practice roster and use that information. Yeah, I'm surprised
3: that uh, most people think Kiermaier should have given it back. I kind of feel like a bad person. That I, that
2: I, I don't think he should have given it back. Like, don't bring it on the field. Ethically, yes, he should. Don't bring it on the field. They use it every like every at bat. You see people looking into their hats. Everyone brings one on in the field now. Like that's what happens. But like, ethically, should he have given it back? Yes. But like. How many people have we heard in sports say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying? Like, is this new to people that there are teams out there that try and gain competitive advantages? Is it really, like,
3: that deep? Like, it's it's ethics? Like, it's really an ethical question of whether...
2: Well, yeah, he stole something from the Jays, so people are just going immediately. If you steal something, you're a bad person. Right, but it's it's sports. Like, they look for advantages
3: in every way, shape, Stealing
2: or form. Stealing signs is a part of that game. Yes, they do it at second
3: base. Like, you said earlier, you're rewarded. Like, they, they like you better a as skill. a player if you yeah. steal signs from second base. Like, don't bring it on the field. Like, unfortunately for Alejandro Kirk, he dropped it. Like, that's an unfortunate situation. Right. We're gonna
2: see the fallout, because this is, this is, like, this is really blowing up right now. Oh, without a doubt. And I don't know if it'll happen today, like we said, Manoa has had a history of it. But the game is so important that I don't know if you'll get the situation. Crazy. Like maybe two out, nobody on, you just drill Kiermaier. Yeah. And this is the one team that you wouldn't
3: want to drop a scouting report to because it is the team you could end up playing in the American League Division
2: Series. Like, could this be scripted any better? Right. In in a spot where you never win. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's helpful too. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get on with last call here. We could talk about that all day long, but let's, uh, let's go <laughs> too Hall of Fame pipe play by play man and friend of the show, Uh, Jim Houston, announced his retirement today after 42 years in the business, in addition to calling 12 Stanley Cup finals and two Olympic men's hockey finals. Houston also spent time as the voice of the Canucks and Maple Leafs. Here's a look back at some of his favorite, our favorite, Jim Houston calls.
7: Campoli trying to clear it. Burroughs shoots, scores! Burroughs
3: wraparound scores! again,
0: to Dowdy, takes the shot, scores! Magic, saucer to Barker, he shoots, great save Lurongo! Great save Lurongo on Ovechkin. Rebound, great save longo on Patrick Kane. That is him. over, Patrick Kane has scored the goal. The Chicago Blackhawks' long drought is over. To Foley, shoots, breaks, and rebounds, they score! Alec Martinez gets the goal!
2: Another in the long line of great Vancouver play-by-play guys from Robson on to Shorthouse. Like, it's just, they have this lineage and all those great saved Luangos feel like they just will live forever in Vancouver. Totally, totally. And there's only a few voices, really,
3: when it comes to to sports that you, you hear a voice and you know exactly what sport, and you think of certain moments that that person is called, and Jim Houston's absolutely one of them.
2: It's funny, I did NLL lacrosse for a while, and I had to stop myself from saying, great save, because the it was stuck in my head, the great yeah. save, Luongo Jim Houston. Like, I had to stop, I had to pull back so good. from saying it, because that was embedded in my brain.
3: Yeah, and of course, congratulations on his retirement. A lot of outpouring of support, obviously, yeah. all over social media today for Jim Houston, so congratulations, and enjoy retirement. Uh, the Ryder Cup begins here, here. Friday at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. There's been plenty of talk this year about, here we go Timmy, golf beef between American teammates Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. And today DeChambeau was asked about teaming up with his rival.
0: We've been driven
3: by a lot of external factors, not necessarily us two. We had a great, we had some great conversations uh, Tour Championship Week when we had dinner and then this week as well. I had dinner. sat down at dinner with him last night, and it was fine. And I think there may be something fun coming up here um, moving forward, but won't speak too much more on that. Right. Oh, there's all something right. fun. So you put on your uh, Team fun. USA captain hat. You're Steve Stricker making the call. Yeah. Are you putting Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau together at the Ryder Cup at all?
2: No, but I'm going to do something fun before it all starts to try and quell the uprising right. that is the two. Um, I think it'd be fun to have them play together. I don't think they will play together. There's like a little. There's been some
3: footage sprinkling out of them kind of walking by each other and talking on the range. So, and they like Bryson obviously has said that they've had some conversations. So maybe they're willing to put it. I think it's aside. all a
2: scam, right? Yes. Like they're rewarded. You've been for saying their, this for months. Yes, yeah, it's literally a scam. They're rewarded months. for their social media interaction, Correct. and this has been very social media e. So they get a little bit more money. For what yeah. they're doing. I think they've played it up a little bit because they knew
3: what they were doing. But this is why people bet on the Euros, because the Team Unity, they have it. The Team USA, don't know about that. Uh, okay, to soccer. Three quarterfinals in the Canadian Championship scheduled for tomorrow. Calvary FC will take on Pacific FC in an all-CPL matchup in Halifax. The Wanderers Hosts Montreal CF and Toronto FC. Faces York United in the first ever Toronto Derby. Wow. Which of the CPL teams has the best chance to beat an MLS team?
2: Listen, it's happened before, so don't act like this would be a massive upset. They've been able to do it before. The CPL plays at a quality that is as close to the MLS as we can get without being a part of the MLS. And I don't think enough people in this country recognize that. Um, TFC has been struggling mightily, and from being at the, ver- the near heights that they were at in this competition, CONCACAF Champs League, to wondering if they'll win the Toronto Derby is amazing for me to look at. No question.
3: It just happened, like, recently, The CPL teams are good. Like, this is, they're good teams. Yes. Uh, okay, today marks the 10th anniversary of this tweet from Blockbuster Video account tweet while you're leaving netflix the top three most creative tweets using hashtag goodbye netflix will win a one-year subscription to blockbuster what's your coldest take of all time
2: (laughs) that's a a tough tweet to look back at isn't it (laughs) blockbuster maybe they should have just stolen the idea Uh, i remember when trent green went down as the quarterback for the los angeles rams the team that was playing them in week one was my lock of the week because Kurt Warner, this guy who worked at a high V, was starting for the Rams. Lo and behold, greatest show on turf, and I'm done. Uh, that's my coldest take of all time. Kiermaier picking up steam, man. I can't believe this. And I need to see the audio because this reads like his excuse. (laughs) Reads like he's just piecing together the worst excuses he can find at the moment. More on this throughout the Jays broadcast. That's next. NXT on Sportsnet 360. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.